0: Welcome to Every Step Podcast. I'm Christina Weston. And I'm Judith Beck. Every Step is the podcast where career and life meet. With a new guest every episode, we explore the gutsy issues affecting everyone in the workplace. Today we welcome... Joseph Healy and David Hornery, two very experienced bankers who turned banking on its head, creating a unicorn in the Australian banking sector. Disillusioned with big bank culture, Joseph and David started thinking about a startup that would improve and disrupt the banking status quo. Although they were self-professed no spring chickens, they created a plan to start a new bank that would serve small and medium-sized businesses. A sector that big banks were neglecting. The name, love the name, guys. It's a nod to the smaller, weaker, to the fact that a smaller, weaker person can overpower a strong opponent through the efficient use of energy. Joseph and David, welcome. Lovely to have you with us today. When you first had this idea, what were some of the barriers that you had to overcome?
1: Uh,
2: David, do you want to kick off? Sure. Um, I think really it started as a concept for us in 2015. And I think the first step was about bringing that, you know, that idea, what was an idea to build a specialist SME-oriented business bank down into a cohesive business plan. And I think, you know, that's a document that we we wrote and then iterated many, 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 many times over the course of the following years. But to really to, ch- to get our eyes to, to get our eyes ideas down, to unpack it, to be sufficiently you know, not being overly optimistic, to being realistic, not not pessimistic either, but to being genuinely realistic as to the credibility. Uh, and the credibility of the idea and how we would actually bring it to market. I think then I wouldn't describe it as a barrier, but one of the things that we realized very early on was you can have a great idea that is well articulated, but ultimately your capacity to execute that is around the people that you can attract around you. Um, So not a barrier, but, but certainly you know something that we saw as being a fundamental deliverable if we were going to make this work. And we did, you know, and we were able to attract a really high caliber of talent around us. Um and then I think really the the other question is because we're building a you know we aspired to build a bank. Uh banks in Australia require a lot of capital. And so you know one of the big challenges up front was To bring the investors on board to be able to bring the idea, you know, to pitch the idea in a way that you captured the imagination of investors uh, and that progressively you built that investor story over time so that, you know, you could fund the you could fund the enterprise from the ground up uh, and then you could build a sufficient inflow of capital equity capital. That allowed you to build the balance sheet and then start to build some momentum. So, I mean, there was many more than that, Joseph. There's probably ten that I've missed there as well.
1: I oh, know you, you covered you covered the, some main, some of the main points. I mean, I, I just kind of elaborating on what what David said that there had not there was not a precedent for what we were doing. Uh, so this was uncharted waters. Um, It had been decades since a new banking license had been issued in Australia, Um, and and, and even then, those banking licenses were issued to established institutions. So starting from a blank piece of paper in a highly regulated industry and a highly capital intensive industry, as David mentioned, the barrier to entry was really the psychological aspect of it, thinking, oh, my God. That was a great idea over a couple of beers, mm-hmm. but actually, how do you make it happen, right? Uh, David touched on the capital and on the talent, but but you know the the reality is there was there was no roadmap for this, and so trying to think through, we we, we started with the end in mind. I think that was a major breakthrough for us because if you if you start thinking about let's do this in incremental steps you you could very quickly get lost or overwhelmed by the magnitude of things. But we, we said, let's stop and think forward 10 years to 2026. And what do we want this company to look like? So taking the advice of Stephen Covey, let's start with the end in mind. And, and that vision of what we thought the company would look like was the light that got us through a lot of darkness in terms of how do you actually make this happen. So I, I would say there was a psychological barrier because this, this was a huge undertaking um, that that was without precedent, was heavily complex in nature. Um, and, and I think we convinced ourselves that let's start with the end in mind Let's do this in a measured way. In fact, measure twice, cut once, which goes back to David's point about writing an infami- a, a business plan that we then workshopped and workshopped. So I think I think for me the barrier, and also you know believing that we could make it happen. So I I, I characterize it. You're always going to have barriers, particularly in a regulated industry of different magnitude, but the big. The single biggest barrier really is the psychological one of conv- believing that you can make it happen.
0: Especially if the idea is a really big one, and this one was a really big and complex one. And if anyone's had any experience in startups, you know that there's a long journey before you even launch, before anybody gets on the payroll and and paid. How did you handle that that early gestation period? What team, because you said, you know, measure once, you know, measure twice, cut once. How did you create that team around you before anybody was being paid? Because there's obviously a period of time when you're, you know, you're you're creating the idea, you're visioning, you're working things through. And and I don't know, maybe you had people on the payroll at that point.
1: No. Well, it goes back to... What David said earlier, you know, we we always saw that we we were always confident of being able to get the capital, even though the one and a half billion dollars, which is the amount of capital, the equity capital that we determined they want, we 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 were convinced that the business case was robust, the opportunity was real, uh, and our both David and my own. CVs or backgrounds. Yeah, your pedigree. Yeah, hmm. uh, you know, said that this is something, we know, we know how to do this. Hmm. Um, the, But to David's earlier comment, the, the, the test was always going to be, could we attract the talent? To what was an idea? So this was no business plan. This was hmm. a, a concept that we wanted to build the business plan out from, but we knew that we needed to attract um, a number of people with complementary skills, but but with a common passion that this, we could make this happen. And, of course, the, the challenge then is, you know, because people have got their jobs and they've got their commitments in life and convincing them to leave what they're doing uh, and embark on a, a high-risk venture. So, you know, we were very clear on this, even though we were confident about the, the, the business case, that this is high risk. Um, uh, but convincing people to... To, to leave the comfort of whatever they were doing and join us on this journey um, was that was going to be the test. Yeah, and we identified uh, David about seven or eight people that we knew from previous experiences that uh, and uh, one of the, the great successes of our journey has been was the ability to attract. The, I think we've got seven out of the eight people that we approached wow mm. uh I was I was I surprised I mean it's it's hard because you're not when you're hiring somebody and asking them to come and join what uh, a, a a risky venture and by the way we can't pay you mm. and, and there's a reasonable chance that we might never ever be able to pay you <laughs> you're not just dealing with an individual you're dealing with a family yeah absolutely because he or she's got to go back home and talk about this. And that requires a degree of um,
2: skillful negotiation.
1: But David, what
2: would what what would you say? Oh, i just build on that. I think that's exactly right. Um, I think the I think the thing that assisted the cause was that from from day one we always had a very very clear sense of purpose. Yep, yeah? I think those that we approached for that first that that initial cohort. Um, saw and felt, as we did, that there'd been a fundamental market failure in the provision of banking to small business, right? I mean, they all got it. They all saw the opportunity immediately. They saw the complacency with which small business was being dealt to, Um and, and hence the opportunity. You know, everybody nods and they go, "Yeah, that's a, that's that's a real opportunity." But I think you know, you and I have always shared a very common sense of purpose around what Judo was built to deliver. You know, and we defined that very early on as you know being the most trusted um, business SME business bank in Australia, and. People that means something to people, you know, over and above turning up and being the cog in the wheel in a big, multi-layered bureaucracy to actually coming and doing something that genuinely has purpose set at the centre of what it's about, really. Not pretend. It's not the purpose that's written on the back of the lift wall or on the little key tab that that you you get given to remind you of your purpose if you're at a big organisation. But genuine purpose. And I think that was... Uh, I think that was an attraction too. They could see it. They could see the opportunity. They saw uh, also the the potential of doing something with real meaning,
3: absolutely. You know,
2: which in many I, cases had been lost.
3: Absolutely, and I think I think that's those are really really good points because just looking over, you know, in doing executive search all the years that I that I did it, what made people go to organization? One was the purpose. And um, the story, what was the story that the company had? And is it an exciting story? Do I want to be part of the story? Is it something I can see myself there for the long term? Because let's face it, you want the most successful people and the people who are going to be on the same bus with you and they have the same vision. And then the other thing, the third thing that was very important was credibility. So nobody would have come and worked for you if Mm. you didn't have credibility that you built up over all those years and your track record, so you know you can be a nice guy, but if you don't have the, <laughs> if you don't have the story and the track record, well then somebody who's really successful already that you mm-hmm. want to get over into your organization, isn't going to come just for that one reason. There, it's got to be the 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 purpose, you know why the story, and these guys know what they're doing and they've got credibility and I wanna work with them. And it's more, I wanna work with them rather than for them. I wanna be part of something that's going to be great and have buy-in.
1: Yeah. Well, actually we we said to the seven or eight people that we identified at the beginning, come and join us, help build this great bank. It is high risk. You know, All the stats say that nine out of 10 startups fail uh so but we've we've thought this through we built that we built what was the foundations of a business plan that we need people to come and help flesh that out but we also said oh by the way we also want you to write a check right so uh, because we need to make sure that that there's real skin in the game and so when you kind of think back today you think wow that's a convincing people to leave the security of a, of a career and an established institution to embark on a journey that that has a high probability of failure uh and to actually write put some of your money in you know because we knew that as this journey was was unfolding there was going to be highs and lows it was going to be a roller coaster. And there were going to be dark days uh, and, and what we didn't want were people saying oh gosh this is, looks like it's going to fail uh i better you know jump back into a big institution so we we wanted we wanted not just the emotional equity in the business but we wanted financial equity so that people had real skin in the game and when i kind of think back on that the fact that we were able to to do that and convince people to invest their hard-earned savings. Um, that that was actually uh, that was actually quite an, a major achievement, major achievement.
0: Absolutely. You talk you talk about dark days and, ev- and every industry, every business, every startup has them. Only a few years after launching, we had what we've all been through, which has hit small business really hard. What are some of the darkest days that you've had to deal with? As a business and and how have you managed to get through it?
2: You understand?
1: Yeah, I mean, there were days when we, we, we were looking at the bank balance and 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 looking at the liabilities that were mounting and and uh and uh no real sense of how we were going to meet our commitments in the early days. The darkest day was in uh, 22nd of December 2017.
0: Oh, so we before had, COVID?
1: Before COVID, we had um we had an agreement from a number of investors to invest 120 million dollars in the company in two stages. 60 million pre-Christmas by 31 December 17, and then another 60 million uh by the end of March 18. Uh and there were a number of investors and so the first 60 or. Literally on a day or two before Christmas, uh, one of the investors withdrew. Mm. Uh, after months and months of due diligence and no warning, they basically in fact didn't even turn up. They sent a provisional a provisional accountant to come along and say, look, uh, I won't mention the names here, but you know our, our client are, has decided not to go ahead. And that that then triggered a concern amongst all of the other investors because the you know the old problem of well, what do they know that we don't know. So it looked like the whole thing was going to fail um, and that and, and then we eventually agreed convinced the other investors to give us till the end 31 December. So give us a week basically to try and place the 15 million dollars that, that Wow. That. And of course, it's the worst week of the year. Uh, And it made for the worst Christmas ever, uh, holiday season, because the the stress levels were very high. The sleepless nights were very common. Um, But for me, that was the darkest. And that was right at the beginning. David, you've probably got a few others that you could add to that. Yeah, I want be, to know. Yeah.
0: I want to know. Did you get the money? Did yes. you get money?
1: Got the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the money.
0: You can't stop the story without the
3: money <laughs> no, 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 there.
1: We got, we got the money, um, and um, yeah, I mean, it was it was we we, we were able to convince an, uh, an investor who we had talked to about a year earlier, but that investor had not uh, decided not to proceed. But he was familiar with. The, uh, the business model, and he was comforted by the fact that actually we had a, a, run, a range of very credible investors lined up, and so he was going to be part of a cohort that was well developed. So we got the money, um, but but that was a that was a week of uh, I, I don't know how much uh, red wine I drank that week trying to convince <laughs>
0: me. anyone who's raised money. Anyone who's raised money understands that. A week is like that's a nanosecond because as you have you've experienced there's months and months and months so it's phenomenal that you managed yep. to get somebody who yes you'd spoken to but wasn't on your short list by the sounds of things that you were able to re-engage at the 11th hour when everybody's on holidays yeah exactly and again the portent of connections
3: hey can i ask a very quick question did you go back to that original investor that um pulled out and say big mistake? Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah,
1: no, we didn't um we, I mean personally would not ever want to speak to that individual again because that that conduct was just um uh, totally unacceptable. Uh. And they they were involved for months and months and and to pull out with no reason. You know, there was because we said like help us understand, and it was simply a change of mind. Uh, the so, way they
0: handled it is, is even worse than bad manners. I mean, that's that's bad I manners sure. in yeah, they
1: didn't. They, they didn't call either David or I, this the provincial accountant who we never met before, who was quite an underwhelming individual. He, he turned up and said, I'm sorry, but uh, Mr X has decided not to proceed. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't want I, I wouldn't grace that individual with uh with any courtesy. Um because yeah. I, that 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 sort of behavior and those values are just Absolutely, frankly, yeah, not something you want to be associated with.
3: Yeah, absolutely and kind of a blessing in disguise. And now when you look back, because you yep. think if they're the, if they're um if they're that way, you didn't you wouldn't want someone like that part of something so great anyway.
2: Absolutely. It, was yeah. a le- it was a learning. I think, yeah, absolutely. The I think the other thing it underscores a little bit is goes back to something that you were saying about organizational resilience or organizational muscle. I completely agree with Joseph. That for me is the darkest day by by a distance. But you know, young organizations do inevitably you know, come close to the wire many times in the in the initial months and years. Sometimes you can see where the the that darkness comes from, sometimes you can't. But one of the things that I think we both learned along the way is the first thing that almost kills you is terrifying. The seventh thing, you don't know how you're going to deal with it, but you say, Well, actually, we've dealt with six life-threatening experiences in the last 12 months we're probably more more than likely to be able to, and then by the time you get to the 25th you go mm-hmm. i don't know how we're going to solve this but we will because yeah. we do there's no don't don't want to signal any complacency there but one of the things you realize is particularly you know for myself coming out of big organisations where you can kind of do that right and there's policies and there's huge capital reserves and there's 17 different departments and consultants and you are living by your own wits and that when you are when those wits are really put to the test particularly when you have as high quality team as we had around us the capacity for problem solving insight creative response resilient response that organizational muscle just built and built and built and so by the time you're several years in you know you've actually faced into a whole series of different icebergs, you know, that that are sort of metaphorically floating past you. But, you know, you do build that. But I agree with Joseph that that uh, that particular December was horrible.
1: You know, that that resilience that um, and muscle that David alluded to was actually perfect, of course, when it came to COVID, because we were still, fledgling Um, we didn't get our banking license till April 19 and then COVID uh, came to our shores in March 20. Um, We were such a young company and of course I can always remember and we, we still talk about it today people say gosh you I me and David were so calm you know when everybody else was running around thinking the world's falling apart um, people still mention that to me today when we kind of talk about people that have been with the company since those days have said what they remember was the calmness uh, or the approach that David and I took to the emerging storm and our ability to kind of navigate the organisation through the choppy waters and the icebergs that were uh, some were visible, many were not. And I think that plays back to the comment about resilience and, and maturity, that that calmness of we will find a way.
0: Yeah, I was, I, was, I was wondering to what extent that comes down, as you were saying, to that business maturity. You know, we often look at young people and we were joking before we came on that we're all kind of late onset entrepreneurs and we're having a bit of a joke about that. But there is something about that you've seen many cycles. I, I remember when I saw my first bond market crap out, and I was in funds management, and not a lot of people have gone through all those cycles. But you've you've seen it all. Like you've seen the really tough times, you've seen the really boom times. You know what's going to happen. You flexed your muscles through those periods. Do you think that that's the that part of it? Is that business maturity that you've been? You've been through it, you've seen it, you've seen something. I, mean, I know you were forging something very different and you couldn't necessarily go back to old networks because they they were in another world and you were in another world. But how much of it do you think comes down to the, the calmness that you were just talking about, to that business maturity and having seen many cycles?
2: David? I think a lot. I think a lot. You know, I mean, the... Um, The reality of starting a business when you're over 50 is that you do bring a a wealth of experience, judgment that can only really be built through experience and over time and seeing different kinds of situations, uh, particularly in financial services uh, and The fact that you've seen them, dealt with them and that you've operated at a senior level through multiple different forms of crises or liquidity issues or market, you know, market, big market disruptions for what driven by whatever reason uh, does give you a solid base to stand from. And that, as Joseph said, when people kind of look to the leadership of the company and they observe that calmness and that they see that there are clear, experience-based plans being laid down, that sets a tone. It sets a tone. And I think, you know, one of the unfortunate things about Australia uh, is how incredibly ageist it is. You know, we talk in the book about... Australia's uh, age commissioner who put a report out a couple of years ago that said actually ageism is the most accepted and most pervasive form of discrimination in Australia, far more so than gender and or race. And I think that's true. The flip side of that is that as we went into the market and were able to hire people, you know, that were you know, 40 or 50 years old that had wealth of experience but were being fundamentally undervalued by the system, that was a massive opportunity for us. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the calibre, the experience, the honed judgement, as well as the capacity for mentoring and guiding and coaching, you know, the up-and-coming young staff, that's a massive opportunity for us. Um, But I I think it counts... A lot. And that going back to the previous conversation, the degree to which when you're building your own business from a blank sheet of paper, you have to build that you're exercising that muscle, and you're bringing that judgment to bear. So you're exercising that muscle more than it's ever been. If you've worked in large companies. Joseph? I, I, I 100%
1: agree. Um, the, uh, the also and this ties back to entrepreneurialism. I mean, to paraphrase, I, I, I think it was former President Obama or one of his advisors that that uh, don't waste a crisis. And we, and, and in our previous career history, there are several examples of where things were, you know, challenging. I can think of the GFC, for example. Well you said look there's no doubt there's going to be lots of challenges and and what you can confidently expect is that a lot of established players will pull up the drawbridge and, and pull down the shutters uh and therefore that creates an opportunity if if we in terms of if we're disciplined and measured and targeted then we can actually not waste the crisis and and the confidence that that we had in being able to, you know, again, with COVID, we said, look, we we don't know and nobody knows where this is going to end, but we can confidently predict certain things that the big banks are going to be really difficult to deal with. They're going to be overwhelmed. There's going to be good businesses that are seeking support uh, and can't find that support. They represent an opportunity for us. And that's exactly what happened that we grew the business in, um, in a way that we could never have imagined uh given the crisis that engulfed uh, not just australia but the world so i think the, the you know the flip side of looking at a storm is to say where's the opportunity here and are we positioned to take that opportunity and i you know and and we've done that before so i, I was confident on that. And then, of course, you the people working for you are looking at that sort of leadership and thinking, wow, A, they know what they're doing, and B, they see an opportunity when everybody else sees a crisis. And I think we did that great job on that, actually.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. I I love that saying, and, um, and I'm a firm believer of that, too, because I even think, you know, looking over the years when I did executive search, we always would see the market. When it was going to hit, from the point of view, people stop employing, and we always took the view of, like you said, never waste a good crisis, and and also Obama said, hire people that get stuff done, <laughs> <laughs> that can get stuff done, and and the thing is, is that um, that's where experience is so important because you do another another downturn comes and you go, yeah, this is this is a glitch but we've seen these things before and we know we can get through it, but what's the opportunity and what is it that we can take from this crisis from a business point of view to get us on the other side rather than sit there and twiddle our thumbs and wait for it to end, take, take the opportunity and find out what the, what it is and go for it. Because it could it could last for years. Obviously COVID has last, lasted a lot longer than what people thought. And the ones that actually took the initiative to move forward, did so very quickly.
1: Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah, and the other thing is kind of re- is giving people reassurance that they should not be distracted by the noise. Now, one of the frustrating things about the noise in Australia is that the, much of the media commentary on conditions like this is over-sensationalized. It's about as deep as a bird bath in terms of content, but you get crisis, crisis, front page, back page. Interest rates going to go through, uh, and because uh, if you if you're influenced by what the media, the noise from the media, then that can actually be quite a significantly negative force, and we were able to shut that out and say, look, here is our view of what is going to happen here. Uh. And in in, in in not just in one single scenario, but two or three scenarios, here is how we're going to manage it. And this is a great opportunity, you know. So I think I, I feel that we did a really good job on that. And whilst never, one never wants to invite a crisis, um, I, I personally feel that, that from a Judo perspective, we are really well equipped to deal with and manage whatever Conditions the world throws up.
3: Yeah, absolutely. We, we okay. talked about. Sorry, Christina, go ahead.
0: We talked about trust very, very early on, and kind of leads into where we've been talking about now. There's been crises, and but how do you build trust when you're a no-name brand? And this is one you know, one of your core purposes is to be one of the most trusted brands in the small business sector. How do you build that brand from nothing? Like no one knows you. How do you get people to move their banking relationships, because banking is all about trust, to a to a no-name, okay, yes, you've got backing and the regulators, you know, ordained you and all of that, but how do you get people to shift their business when they don't know you from a bar of soap, literally?
1: Well, I'll I'll have a go, David, um, because this is actually quite, a, it's a fundamental question. When, when we were architecting judo one of the core founding principles is that we are are, we will be um, a relationship centric bank in a world where technology was replacing people where the fashion was fintech and automate and digital all of which are really important to businesses but we always saw that that in banking the sme economy that human judgment, human engagement was gonna be an important factor to our success. And, and, and the, the, in a world that had, in a banking world that lost sight of relationships um, that where the industry was taking its customers for granted, we felt that getting people inside the company who were passionate about SME banking who knew the craft of SMB banking uh, inside out, uh, and who wanted to be sitting across the table from the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker? Um, that that having people across the table from our customers was going to be an important point of our competitive differentiation and our competitive advantage, and that the through people that you would convince businesses that there was a better option. Than the four major banks, and that better option was this new bank that was that was staffed by highly experienced bankers, that was well credentialed, um, that really understood the craft of SME banking, and that was passionate about face to face. You know, seeking first to listen and understand what the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker want, and then thinking about how we might be able to help them in a world that had become so industrialized so centralized uh and so productized we said that this is unashamedly a relationship-centric business where people are front and center of the way that we think and the way we talk and the way that we act and i i think it was through our people that we were able to convince businesses that judo actually was a better option than than um than the major banks there was no major marketing campaign. We, we kept everything below the radar. We had a very kind of clear strategy about how we wanted to grow, but we did. We passionately believed in the power of relationships, and that's something that you know it goes back to the question about how did you get that investor to come in with a week to go around Christmas because we had invested in a relationship a year ago. And, you know, the power of face-to-face, as I keep on saying to people, don't underestimate the power of sitting across the table with people. And and that's, I think that's been quite core to the way that we think, we were thinking about the business at the beginning, and the way that we think about the business today. David, over over to
2: you. I don't really have much to add. I think that encapsulates it beautifully. I think the proposition that we were offering, just to build out one of your points was a complete contrast to what the market was seeing uh, from the major banks and that it happened that you know there was a royal commission into the banking system um, in twenty seventeen I think it was so 2017 eighteen. And one of the things, just back to your point, Christine, at the beginning is about trust. Trust had been lost. The social licence of the banks in Australia to operate had been lost, right? And so it was a commodity that was largely absent in the relationship between small businesses and their banks. And I think that that served as a you know i mean it was a very for the for the for the banking system in australia it was a very sobering reminder of how central trust and the social license to operate have to be a real awakening uh and i think you know that the point at which we built the offering that joseph so clearly articulated um it 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 served to underscore just how different that proposition and that building of trust and that building of relationship actually was to what was otherwise on offer.
0: Yeah, I think trust is so critical to so many businesses and I think many businesses forget that that is one of their core value propositions and therein lies the opportunity because it's not just banking that's lost its way with trust. Mm,
1: Agreed.
3: And, you know, the thing is, is that... um, you know, businesses who, or uh, small businesses or people who are listening to us today, um, really take this in that you need to be in front of your customer and have a relationship with them, do something different, go outside the square, because let's face it, um, customer service is rare. (laughs) So do something novel, maybe pick the phone up and call somebody and actually (laughs) pick it up. (laughs) Go out and see the customer. And that will build that trust. And I think you know um, that personalized service people are craving for that and yeah. they want they want um, to be made to feel special if they're dealing with an organization and how that company made them feel and I think anybody who is you know starting a new business today or in the beginning or or, or wanting to take their business to the next step if they just listen to some of these things they're very basic and they're very easy to do, and they actually make you feel better when you do do it by actually yeah, building the relationship.
1: True. Yeah, yeah well, we, we, and we say this today to our people. Look, what, we're fundamentally in the business of lending money to small to mid-sized businesses. When our dollar hits the bank account, it's no different from a dollar from a major bank. So that, so how do we differentiate ourselves? And we do that through the experience that the customer has gone through up to the point when the money hits the bank account. So, and what does it feel like to do business with Judo versus doing business with one of the big institutions? The key is the experience and the experience is wrapped up in the relationship. And we talk about the story of um, Jack Taylor and enterprise cars. Now, Jack Taylor, this is a true story. He was, um, in 1958, at the ripe old age of 47, which in those days was no spring chicken, it's a spring chicken today, but in those days, he had been in the, the car hire industry and he decided to leave. He was fed up with the service and he set up a company called Enterprise Car Rentals in the United States with 17 cars. And now he's taking on the Avises and the Hertz and all the big giants who have all the strategic Uh, land uh, uh, at the airports but Jack believed that he could build a business that was that was fundamentally about the customer experience because again when the customer gets behind the steering wheel and 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 turns the engine on it's no different from being in a Hertz car or an Avis car or whatever uh, other car but what the difference is the experience of calling up or going seeing somebody and then getting the car keys. Now, fast forward to today, uh, Enterprise Car Rentals has a market value that is greater than the sum of Avis, Hertz and the other two big guys, and its secret sauce was customer experience. And that's, that's Judo's secret sauce, is how do people feel when they do business with us? It's, it's,
3: it's common sense, isn't it's it? It's, it's not so no common sense. In common a world sense ain't that's
0: common.
1: common. <laughs> yeah. But in a world that wants to digitalize, industrialize, I mean, if you had to call your bank today to renew your credit card, right, your heart would sink and you would go and get a stiff cup of coffee if it's the morning or a stiff scotch if it's the evening because you're <laughs> about to write off four or five hours of your life.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right.
1: Right? Yep. Very true. The experience is poor.
3: Yeah. Exactly, that we had we had a conversation about this um, last week with with, uh, with uh, Will Gadera, who had the number one restaurant in the world in New York in 2017, oh. and it was about unreasonable hospitality, which really does go uh, that concept goes to every industry, and it's about going over and above what is expected. And right now, the bar is so low on customer service that if you do something a little bit better, you're going to be above the rest.
1: <laughs> 100%. Really.
3: Uh, now, we are, I can't believe, have gone over time. So this conversation is such a great conversation. We really could go in a lot of different directions with it. But let's just end it with, the, with maybe just what do you think are Uh, two things that a new company coming in, you know, maybe in the first five years would need to do to become a black belt. And I'll start with you, Joseph.
1: Well, be really clear on the problem that you're seeking to solve or the opportunity that you're seeking to prosecute. So clarity around what, what, why would people want to do business with you? For me, the more time you spend on that fundamental question, the better. What's the problem that you're seeking to solve that the market is not solving itself? And we touched on that. Uh, And what's the opportunity? And then how do you prosecute that? So a clarity on that, because I I have seen so many businesses uh, start up with a a fancy app, you know, with a piece of technology that is going to revolutionize in their minds and then find themselves closing the doors and, and, and closing the business a couple of years later, because they haven't thought through what the customer is looking for and what they can do that is going to be better and different from what the market is doing. So it, it's basic stuff. Yeah, absolutely. David?
2: Uh, I think sort of two points that I'd roll into one, just building on Joseph, and it goes to what where we began the conversation, is hire well. Think really clearly about the skills, the capability, the experience, uh, and the character of the people that you want to bring in around you to create that team. Really important, they can be an absolute multiplier of the organization's potential, but if you get it wrong, they can be a diluter of that, of the organization's potential.
1: Yeah. I, I, I would add also... Think big. Start with the end in mind. So don't don't start by saying, you know, let's see how we go on, and we'll 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 cross that river by feeling for stones. Be really clear, and we, which is what we did. You know, to use an analogy. We we built the foundations for a ten-bedroom house when we only needed two bedrooms in the first five years. But we knew that as we were growing, that with the foundations in place, then extending the house, uh, the, extending the bank was going to be easily done with good foundations. So start with the end in mind. We had a 10-year vision in 2016 going out to 2026. Uh, and that that vision of what we wanted Judo to look like was so, so invaluable to us as we were going through those dark periods in the early years that we never lost sight of what it is, the vision we had for the company And one of the great sources of pride that Dave and I talk about from time to time is that vision is unchanged, you know, that in the strategic narrative around the company, the way we think about the company today is exactly the way we thought about it in 2016. And it just reinforces this, think with the end in mind, measure twice, cut once, Get make sure that you're absolutely on solid foundation, um, and then then it's all about execution. You know, there's no pivoting here, or pivoting there. Let's change the business because it's not working. Spend the time up front on thinking this stuff through. Take longer to get to market. There's an old old saying: if you want to go, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Take the time, build a team, and think it through. I love that.
0: I love it. I love yeah. it, Christina? Yeah, I love. I love that bit about product market fit that you were just describing then, because I think that's what a lot of startups forget. They get caught up in their own passion or their own little world of what they think customers are going to want, but they don't actually go out and 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 check and test and validate and. And I love what you were saying there in terms of spending more time, invest more time to get that right. And then, to your point, you won't be pivoting in a sh- in a short period of time. That doesn't mean to say that pivoting's bad, but you'll you'll avoid that costly turnaround, which just destabilizes investors, destabilizes p- people who are involved with you. So, um, but just building on on your comments, I think the the other two things that have come out of this conversation for me, which I know I've had to deal with as an entrepreneur is continue to build your resilience muscles. They will serve you well. Any business will have peaks and troughs and you'll spend more time in the troughs than you do in the peaks. It's really easy to ride a bike downhill. The challenge is, is when you're in those troughs, how do you motivate yourself out of them? How do you motivate the team out of them how do you create that that goodwill and that confidence that you will solve it you can solve it and you will get out of it together and that's that's all about you know practicing and flexing those resilience muscles
3: absolutely I love all those tips I would just add um say for a rainy day because I was over the years 25 years in, in business I That was my um, prime principle say for a rainy day because those rainy days will come and don't overspend on things that you don't need as a business, especially as a small business. Um, The other thing I would say is that Um, If you're a race car driver, if you want to be a race car driver, you speak to an experienced race car driver. You don't get an Atari set and think that you can do it online and and learn how to be a race car driver that way. Speak to the people who have been there, done that and get mentors. And because those people are the ones that are going to be able to give you all that experience and what worked, what didn't work. Cause we all made mistakes. We all had ups and downs. We all had successes and those are the people that you want to speak to. And I just want to close by, if you haven't got the book black belt, you need to go out and get it. These guys have been there. They've done stuff. They've got stuff done. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I love a great promotion. <laughs> you know, learn from the experts. and I just loved having you guys on. We just really thoroughly enjoyed speaking to you, David and Joseph. Thank you so much and uh, we could have spoken for hours on these literally, sessions.
0: literally. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Oh I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you.
0: For more information about Every Step and our guests, head to everysteppodcast.com. To be notified of new podcasts, please subscribe via your favorite listening platform. And of course, follow us on social media and direct message us to share your ideas about guests or topics.